Hey, this is Alex Kohler, and you are listening to another episode of the Go to Market Mastery Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about authentic selling and non measurable aspects of selling with our guest, Dennis Sprute. We are looking to a very, very exciting episode with Dennis, who has seen very, very various aspects from selling at Groupon to being a founder and later then a senior enterprise account executive. He's a very own approach into selling and is now a fractional seller, helping startups like Codesphere. So enjoy the episode. If you can't learn how to close, you better start thinking about another career. And I am deadly serious about that. The reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Hello, Dennis. What's up? How's it going? <laughs> yeah, uh, Dennis is joining us from Brazil today right? So how's the weather? And I'm in Cape Town. So we got a very, very, very um, exotic mix. Um, most of my audience obviously is in, in Germany. So um, we got everything um, but Germany. So very, very far away, although a lot of Germans are here. Um, Dennis, yeah, very, very cool to have you here. Um, yeah, um, cool persona and also cool topic uh, that we are talking about today. We're talking about the authenticity of selling, which Dennis and I had a great pre-podcast chat about. And he um, asked me that this is something that always um, yeah, made him basically reach his goals and also yeah, um, made him go further in life, uh, I think. And um, before we start into the topic, Dennis, um, as always, it would be very, very cool if you could start by just introducing yourself and share a bit more about your career and what you're currently doing yeah thanks a lot alex um and again it's so funny like you're saying uh, you're in cape town my brother's there right now um i'm in brazil it's very weird for my parents when they when they talk to us because like there's like they're all over the globe um yeah so uh, my name's dennis as you can hear by the accent i'm also from germany i'm from a city called bremen from the north and um i've lived in berlin for the past 10 years for the second time now um, I live in the U.S. That's why I have this fake American accent when I was an exchange student when I was 16. And um, then I lived in Portugal also for a few years. And um, yeah, um, for, for like three and a half. And I've been working in, in tech sales for almost yeah almost 10 years now. So I'm, I'm originally a trained journalist, which is also why I'm very passionate about the, the topic of, of writing and bringing that into my selling. But I also have a very, like you said, outgoing nature and, um, you know, connecting, meeting with people, making stuff happen. That's always been in my DNA. I just didn't know there was a thing called sales back then. Like, I don't think anyone, when they were kids, they, they grew up to be, uh, to, to dream of being becoming a salesperson. But uh, at one point, I learned that there's actually a real job for this. Uh, and that was 10 years ago when, when I met my mentor and uh, had, we had our own startup for a little bit. Didn't work out. But ever since then, I've been in the game. And um, I've been now been into the, the SaaS space for six years, more or less. So I'm always usually bringing new companies into the market. So I've, I've always been, and I think it's going to be the topic of today as well. That's also what I'm doing today, where I'm helping um, startups from a well, relatively unknown in a new region, introducing them um, with, with very few resources and um, getting first deals and then 
um, scaling that up basically. So that's what I've been doing for the last few years. And I left corporate selling last last year. So I was I was with a company called BetterUp, and then I and I left um, uh, middle of last year. Had a bit of a sabbatical, and I'm now um, self-employed solopreneur, um, as they call it. And I'm working now with founders, so to help them take away their fear, help them basically validate the first uh, the, the product ideas, getting the first clients, and then finding repeatable patterns to then um, build processes from there, and then hand it over to 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 be to be ready for scale. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm uh, in Brazil, like you said, right now for the time being. I escaped the the Berlin winter, and I've actually decided to stay a little bit longer. So um, I'll be here until the the end of March. Yeah, likewise. Think we're all trying to get the Berlin winter bids. Not only that, you forgot one thing. Um, you're also creating, uh, yeah, great content that is free on your LinkedIn profile, which is linked below. And you uh, published a great email free ebook that is also great, in my opinion. I read it and I will also link it in the show notes and uh, all of you can get it. Um, always uh, very, very cool to have these resources. And I think you put a lot of love and time in it so uh feel free to all get it um yeah but i would like to switch to the to the topic now we have because i think it's a very very interesting one and um, something that in my opinion is talked about not too often in in current sales because it's 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 a rather infunctional topic um although it's somehow functional um but not something you can quantify so um bring authenticity to sales so What would you say? Could you maybe explain the audience how you define authenticity in selling and all these non-measurable patterns that we talked about? Yeah, definitely. Let, let me maybe give you some context also to where I come from and I think the kind of personality that I am because I think this is really, really important to know. Because contrary to, to what people perceive, I'm a very introverted person. And so... People don't believe that when they see me in meetings, on stage, wherever, because they see me as very outgoing. But by my nature, where I draw my energy from, that's actually being by myself a lot. And um, the idea has always been that if you're in sales, you have to be you know, like the Wolf of Wall Street movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's kind of the archetype of what a salesperson is actually supposed to be and of what good selling is supposed to be. And you talk someone into a corner, you convince them, you, get, you sell them the pen, and that's what selling is. And what I've learned, and that this is not because of that I've discovered it, but it's because that is my nature and of how I've used that for my selling. And also, I would say a little bit from being, being like I said, a trained journalist, is that these, these qualities of an introvert are equally important when you're selling. And that's what I've been um, applying, because again, that's my DNA, that's my nature. And that went against the ideas of a lot of people who said that I wasn't made for sales. Like they say, you're not a typical salesperson. You don't look like one. You're way too, way too much of a thinker and way too, uh, you know, you, you care way too much and you go way too deep and that's never going to work. But the funny thing is it has worked and it has helped me uh, deliver and re repeatedly outperform people in different companies and for different products. And so that's why I've realized as I started to also train other salespeople, mentor people now working with founders is that that also has a place and encouraging people to also because we both we both have these sides we both have that introvert extrovert side and that more i guess that, that more human side of selling to not neglect that but to also focus on that and encourage people to actually bring that to the table as well because that is something like you said that is never discussed in any trainings um sales is for the most part seen as a numbers game and that is true because you have you know you have to make revenue 
but that doesn't mean that everything that goes into until you get to that number can be grasped by uh, by by data and by processes. It's just impossible. And that's also the case that I'm making in my uh, ebook about, like you said, about email writing, where I'm saying there there's a big part of the 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 intuitive side of selling, and and the uh, the, the more the creative side of it. That is something that is never really applied, and, and ultimately, again, from from my context of having sold for startups at a very early age, uh, not early age, early stage, where you didn't have a lot of resources, you had to be creative. You had to have a high level of emotional intelligence. Like you didn't have processes, you didn't have any historical data, and so you had to come up with that. And that is something that is a, that is a muscle that I've carried. Even when I was working at scale ups, I was applying that same mentality. When I was then going into enterprise accounts, same mentality, and that's always served me pretty well. And I've and I've been again training that, teaching that to to other um, to other sellers as well, and they've seen equal results. And so back to your own, to your main question about the authenticity, I think giving giving space to that and allowing that to to yourself when you're selling, that is not just refreshing for you as a seller and more effective, but also for because also refreshing for the recipient on the other side. Like that's the one thing I've been realizing. Um, I'm, I'm all about the long game, um, not short-term thinking, but really thinking like an entrepreneur that, that that has never left me since I've had my own startup. And I think when you when you think about selling, building up your network and your and your reputation and all of that, this is so so important. And none of this is usually taught in sales trainings. And I think that there has to be a place for it, and there should be a voice for it. And that's why I also talk a lot about this when I'm actually on uh, when I'm posting on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very, very important one, in my opinion. And I think the authenticity is also something that gives your sales message like its own touch. You know, I, I hear a lot of, or nowadays I see a lot of sales messages that I get that are basically like these LinkedIn influencer wired messages that are really put into some form that somehow doesn't fit. And then it, it's just, just doesn't doesn't sound good so it doesn't sound authentic yeah um but maybe could you name some um real life examples where maybe authenticity in selling close to some deals um won some people over opened some doors for you um and how you used it so that maybe the listeners have a more yeah um a more of a real life example of how this works and maybe um how this can help maybe them yeah, no, de definitely. That's a great question. So I think that the biggest issues, again, is that a lot of focus of how sales training is conducted and what, what's considered to be the right approach is focusing on the persona. And that's fine. It makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, what we're forgetting is that ultimately you're selling to a person and you're dealing with a human being. And again, for me, that's always been the, the my biggest appetite and interest in life in general is to explore the human being. And again, going back to my journalism days, being very curious. And I think when you when you when you're not connecting or not trying to connect also on that level, what, what people forget is that decision making happens ultimately on a very emotional, egotistical level, right? So we say it's it's rational. We have a business case, fair enough. But at the end of the day, you know what some what a buyer thinks about when they buy? They think about what's in it for me. What's that going to make me look like in front of my boss? What is my team going to think about that? Is it going to risk? Um, maybe I'm still my probation. I just I had. So he asked about examples. I had one guy who just said to me at one point, he said, like, Dennis, um, I'm still on my probation period. And my wife and I, we have two kids. We just bought a house. So that was basically code for, 
I, I cannot F this up if I buy your solution. Okay. Yeah. That's not about like, like honestly, like that, that's, that's just as clear and open as yeah. it is. And so, so I think what happens is you have to make the effort. And how do you do that? You have to make the effort to get to know the person on a, on a, the, on a human level. And, and, you know, there, there are signs and hints that people give you left, right, and center when you have discussions with them, but trying to read between the lines, try to explore. And when you make the discovery, don't just make it on the product level or like on, on, on the, again, on the persona level, but really also going a little bit into that. And you're going to be surprised. And again, that goes back to my, to my journalistic nature of, of, of trying to explore these, these stories. And you're going to be surprised what you're going to find there. And those are things, those are things that you cannot, you cannot measure them. You cannot put them into CRM. You cannot replicate them, but they are there. And they're um, very, very, very important. And they've helped me in, in all sorts of deals that I've been working on. Um, if I'm, I mean, I've closed deals, lots of six-figure deals, seven-figure deals with really very big and well-known brands. And it's, it's, it's always the same. I've also been selling when I was working at Groupon at the time. I worked with restaurants. It's the same thing. Like there's no difference. You're selling a, a much smaller deal size, maybe, or a much bigger one when you work for an enterprise company. But at the end of the day, it's always the same. Like, how is that going to affect me? How is that going to affect my yeah. life? And again, I think by 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 bringing then also more of your own human side to to the interaction and of showing more of that, I think that just takes a lot of the the BS factor out of this, right? Like this this facade that we all uh, told to wear and this mm. this kind of um, you know, fake and this this kind of play, this weird dance that we're doing, just saying, let's just cut the crap. What's really going on here? I remember I had this with um, the first time I signed a million dollar deal was with a, with a well known uh, German big brand, and at one point we had uh, it was with their um, the lead buyer at the time, and we had a meeting, a recurring meeting every week, and we were both coming to the table, mm -hmm. acting tough and trying to, you know, we both had our things that our executives had told us what we can bring to the negotiation, what we cannot do. And it was just like kind of like this duel, this debate. And at one point, the guy calls me up. It was, uh, he was going on a train, uh, going on a holiday with his family. He was going to, they were going to go in an RV. He was going to pick up his, his uh, mother-in-law. And he was just saying, Dennis, look, this is the situation. I need those two things. Okay. Like, let's just cut all the BS. I need this right here. And I said, okay, cool. Because my manager has actually told me this and this and this, and this is where I'm struggling. So how can we find find a common ground here? And that's how we made it happen. And I think from everyone, everything that I have learned on the level of, I mean, how politicians make business, how some of the, the biggest deals in history have happened. I'm a very big fan of, of of biographies. I think they're some of the greatest sales books because it's 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 anecdotal knowledge, and that's how I learn the most. You realize that a lot of these things ultimately they happen on that level. And and again, I'm not saying that 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 by itself is going to do it. Like you still need the processes. You need to have the polish messaging you have to stru have structure you have to have all these things but i'm also saying we should also give some some space to to the other uh side and i think that that's not really happening and i think there's a lot of money left on the yeah. table yeah absolutely absolutely and i think um what you just said reminds me very very much about the book seven habits of uh, highly effective people if you know it and one habit is that like comes into in the stage of interdependence so basically far beyond independence um is seeking for win-win always seeking for win-win not only win but win-win and i think this is basically it that you told me before and why we're sitting here that a lot of sellers and also sales leaders 
that they totally forget because it's just about numbers and it's not about, hey, does this product product actually help them? What happens if this doesn't work? Yeah, What if we close maybe a deal and then our customer support has to figure it out because the product doesn't actually work for them? Um, yeah. And I think this is absolutely what we forget because I think, in my opinion, the best deals I closed are the deals where maybe we were struggling at first, but are really sat at home and thought, hey, this is really the solution that fixes the pain, that, that fixes really the, the, the problem. And I think like, hey, how can they not buy? How can they not buy this product? I know it's helping them. I just need to convince them. And then uh, you just think about it and then you just like figure it out and just have a win on both sides and you get things done. But um, just out of curiosity, quick question in between. Are you still friends with a lot of people you made a deal with? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the irony. I mean, also going back to the point of what you were just saying, right? Where you were saying, actually, in some cases, is to tell a customer or a prospect, you're actually not a good fit. Or like, this is not going to work. Like, I don't think this is a good idea. For yeah. You. And I mean, obviously, this has also now been used in a bad way where it's been used as a, as a manipulative tool. And you don't really sincerely think that, but you want to use it as that, that, that's that's a bad thing. That's very, again, inauthentic. But again, if you do it in a very sincere way, um, what that's going to give you in the long run is what you just talked about is actually it's going to help your, your reputation. It's going to help you. And again, giving you actual examples. I remember I, because I've done that a few times with, with sellers, uh, with, with prospects, I was in a new company and I needed to build pipeline. I needed to get connections into to, to some of their colleagues. Guess what? I, I called those people up and I said, by the way, I mean, back then we were in the, I was in that company. I was doing something different. I'm doing something different now. Um, it's not going to be, it's not the right thing for your, your department. But there's actually that colleague, and I think that company that you work for is still a great profile for what we're doing. So, you know, what would you be able to, to help and facilitate an introduction? Guess what? They they reply to you and they say, absolutely, I'm happy to do that. So that's how I've also, so one of, one of the things that, that's so dear to my heart, and it's, it's what I've been including all of my trainings and mentoring and managing of people, has always been thinking of your sales career, or like thinking as, as a, um, your current sales job in the context of your entire life. Warren Buffett talks about, um, he, he calls, I think, his inner 16th chapel. And so what he's basically saying is your life is an entire work of art. It's not, it's not just a singular little thing. It's like you have to always do it in, in the greater scheme of, 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 of your whole life, right? And so obviously when you're in a sales job, you have, uh, you have quarters, you have, um, you have to hit numbers. Uh, or maybe even monthly. And so with that, it's always short-sighted thinking that's being promoted. I understand that. But again, if you're being selfish and you think about what's actually the right thing for my own career, you think about, well, if I burn that contact now because I screw them over, I'm basically going to start from zero in the next job that I'm in. While you could, you might as well say, you know what, I'm going to think of my life and also of my network as uh, as compound investment, where I'm saying, okay, when I put money into an index fund, it's going to keep growing. And I'm going to keep creating a snowball effect. And what has happened, like I was saying, with every new company that I went to, uh, and even now, I always, I built this snowball, and it goes back to your main question, where I have these relationships. Some of them have actually become friends. It's absolutely crazy. Like, um, they, they've invited me for dinner. I had, I remember I was, it was two years ago. I was, uh, every month I was in a different city because for my work, I was in Amsterdam, Paris, London. I had, I, I would always ask people, hey, I'm in town. Who's up for a meeting? And some of these people would come back to me and they say, I, I would like to buy you dinner. It happened like three times in a row. And I don't think it's because, you know, I, I didn't do anything special, but I think I was just willing to 
to also you know get to know them on a personal level to 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 nurture that relationship i talk a lot about what i call strategic thoughtfulness that was actually something that i talked about in my newsletter last week uh because i'm always also asked then can you actually learn this this is this all sounds great but can this can this be learned i think yes it can be it's it's it's, it's a strategic thing there's actually one of my favorite articles um, that i can recommend is if you look it up um, I think um, something about Bill Clinton, who's a, who's the like like the genius of networking, and what he would do is he would always have uh, handwritten. He would keep notes, tens of thousands of notes, before people had an iPhone, a record on every person that he met, personal uh, information about them, like just like triv what you would call trivia inf inside information that nobody would that you would think is not relevant. But that's that's how people build report, and let's not forget like when we talk about report building. People let their guards down when they feel safe. And I mean, that, that goes back to like to, to, to human nature, right? If we feel safe and trust, then we let our guard down and then we can have an honest conversation. That doesn't mean that, that you're going to get a deal from it. It might also mean that, you know what, Dennis, there really is no opportunity here. Like, I'm just telling you how it is. That's just a reality. Sorry, man. But at least you have an honest conversation, right? And I, and I think we, we can and we should have more of those if we also ourselves introduce it into into the way that we're selling and again that's what i'm out here to 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 promote with my content and obviously it's still tied to 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 uh to, to getting results but i think that's that can be a very big help yeah yeah definitely definitely um love that uh real life real life nuggets and also love the bill clinton example um just wrote it down because I think uh, this is something also you can use for, for example, the events or when you go to events, because then you um, stop writing those post event messages, just following up on the, our event conversation and then pitching your product, um, but rather personalized things. Um, but anyway, um, previously um, you were talking about the long game uh, mindset in sales. So um, could you maybe share a bit more, or go a bit deeper because I think we already talked about it a bit. Um, what for you does the long game mindset in sales mean, and why basically is it so important? Yeah, definitely. So I think first of all, the question is, especially when you when you're working on enterprise deals, right? These days, it takes I would say anywhere it can take up to eighteen months until you actually close an enterprise deal. Um, you know, sometimes shorter, uh, but 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 I would say somewhere around 12, 18 months if you're really working on a very big deal. So you have to have endurance. You have to have patience. And you can, if you bring that short-sighted thinking to to the table, it's not going to get you anywhere because that's not. Then then you're going to signal that you don't know the reality of their business. Because we always think that's a funny thing, right? We come and we think, well, I have a quarter. I have a, I have a target. I have to hit that target. So you have to help me fix my problem. Well, guess what? The prospect doesn't care. It's like no, this is this is the company I'm in. That's my world. That's my reality. And you have to deal with that and you have to find a way. So so that that by itself, I think, is so important. And again, what you're saying, <clears throat> the, the issue is sometimes there's just not the right timing, right? One of, one of my, my number one, my go-to question that I ask as a follow-up when I send an email. So I'm, I'm very, as you know, very bullish on emails. And, and the very effective email that I got, you probably know the guy, Chris Voss, who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference, right? And he, and he gave uh, away the greatest follow-up email. Yeah today ever right it's, it's just one line so going again against the 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 common way of doing it is would usually be to say when you have a, a follow-up email oh here's more information and here's another clip and here's another pdf and like i mean they don't they don't care but if you talk to them and you say by the way it's actually just now a bad timing for this you're actually talking to the human 
you're not talking about are you even interested in what we're doing like that which which you asked in the first question but the second one is that you're actually talking to the human you say it's now actually a bad time and it's surprising what people come back with what they're going to tell you i mean i i think that's why it worked why it's so powerful and what that's going to do is people going to say you know what now it is actually a bad time because my mom is sick or i'm having this project i have to finalize whatever but if you then have the patience and you actually you know you, you just leave it there contrary to then where you have some managers saying to you oh but you have to find a way and you have to be bullish and you have to convince them and you have to get something somehow you can do that uh, it's probably not going to work out and you're going to burn you're going to burn that relationship and that work that you've done but again like if you start seeing your own career mm. in a in a bigger scheme of your entire life I think it's much easier to say, you know what? No, I don't. I, I might want to use that relationship again. It's, it's like a stock, and I don't want to. I don't want to withdraw it right now. I want to see. I want to see it compound. And I think that for me, like that, that is more of a mindset thing in general. And I think that that's where the world is going anyway. Um, in particular, like it's gonna. It's a lot more relate because, like you said, like there's such an there's so much information out there, and getting through to people. I think at this point is so much about selling through networks, selling through relationships, obviously also, like you said, building up a brand. And again, all of these things take time. You know that, like until you trust someone, until you know someone, that all takes time where you have to, I think Google has, I don't know, the um, there's a formula, I think it's called, look it up, it's the, it's the Google 7 something rule. Like, let me actually, uh, if, if we can find this right now, um, Google, Google marketing, what's it called? Ah, yeah, it's the seven eleven four rule. Is, I think is very interesting. So what it talks about is that what are the amounts oh. of times that someone has to see you and has to visit you and has to engage with some of your stuff until they feel a level of familiarity, familiarity with you, right? And I, th I think there's a lot of truth yeah. to it. it. It's the same here. And that, that takes time. And it, But if, again, if you do it, you know, mm -hmm. um, then then you're gonna be you you're gonna be potentially rewarded in some form. Maybe it's gonna be a deal with that person. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just going to be a useful insight, especially if your founder is selling at an early stage and you're just going to get useful insights. Maybe you're going to get an introduction. I mean, mm. who knows? Or maybe it's going to become a mm. friendship and it's going to be useful for your personal life. But I think in some form, there's always something mm. that you can get if you have some of the patience. And I would say like one final, one final thing on this before we move to the next question. Final quote on this for me, my favorite book ever. I read it once a year. It's called Zidata by Hermann Hesse. And the, the famous quote from the book, I don't know if you know it, if you've read it. I, I don't know it. Okay. Uh, I need to read it. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a, a monk who's leaving his parents' house. It's really a book like about self-discovery, and he, it's a very famous book. And he's leaving his house because he wants to explore the world for himself. And um, he, lives, he lives as an asset, lives in the streets, and then he lives as a businessman and everything. And he gets hired at one point by a merchant because he meets a woman. And the woman says to him, um, you have to have some money you have to have some you know some some nice clothes and everything and then i would consider dating you and so he actually then gets a job with with a, with a merchant and the merchant says well, what can you do and he says well i can think i can fast and i can wait and the guy says well how is that useful to me right and then he talks about how like well he says like the fact that i'm that i can fast i don't have to eat all the time i'm not going to be desperately doing everything just so i can feed my stomach and when i can wait it's the same thing I'm not, and I don't have that urgency in that sense. And so I can wait things out. And that's what I've noticed from probably the, the most successful people that I've met that I know, the ability not just to focus, that is one thing that's very, very, very important, but the other is really patience 
if you can have the patience and you can wait yeah. things out. And by the way, that's obviously, that's also the same for dating without getting uh, sidelined, sidetracked here, right? But it just applies to in general. Like to not suggest that you're needy and you have that confidence, it's just mad confidence and trust. Um, I think that that's one of the toughest things uh, to do. But if you achieve them, it's going to do very well for you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like in sales, it's the same as in dating. For example, if you approach a girl and she said, Hey, I have a boyfriend. Um, I'm sorry. Um, it's the same as like you're going to a shop and want to like make your weekly uh, buy. What, what are your options? Like the shop is closed. Either you like hammer against the wall and scream and tell somebody to open up. Or you just wait until the shop is open again. Yeah. Um, and this is a lovely anecdote that I've heard, but, um, absolutely loved it and, um, will definitely uh, read the book. You need to send me the link, um, afterwards, but I want to delve a bit more now in through harsh reality of things. Yeah. Um, let's yep. say it's, it's January as it is. Um, and we are an enterprise sales rep now uh, or a founder maybe in early stage yeah and um now we need to close an enterprise account that is on our yeah um on our prospect list on our account list that we need to close so um what are some strategies what are your first steps that you initially take and um how does again how is um authenticity or authenticity helping us to close this deal first of all let me ask you when you say you want to have uh, we have january now you want to close an enterprise account when you want to close an enterprise account by what date let's say by the end of the year okay because that's already very ambitious um i, th I think what, what's yeah it's it's important to mention that the reason why is uh, aes have a ramp time of i think like more or less nine months sometimes one year when they when they're in the job is because it takes a lot of time until you actually get in the door in the first place sometimes it can actually take up to a year until you even like actually in the door and you're talking to the right people and you found the right people that that by itself can take a long time and then it might take another year or year and a half until you actually close that deal so i'm, ju I'm just mentioning this because this this is i think in particular in the context of enterprise selling so so important but let's let's break it down back to your question that you had. So if I want to if I want to approach any any big account or any any account in general, how do I use authenticity or in general the 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 approach that I'm taking to to getting into that account? So I think the first one is is the what I called what I mentioned earlier is the strategic thoughtfulness, right? So you have to you have to find a way to get through to that right person. Um, and the the the, the issue that I've seen with that as well, and it's also covered in my ebook. Is this this mentality of just blindly spraying because we assume that sales is a numbers game, right? So we assume we can just if we if we do X level of activities, we're going to get whatever uh, kind of outcome. I think that's a very flawed mentality. I've seen this not work in, in in most cases. In particular, if you work on an enterprise account, you only have so many shots with 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 the right person and with that account until you until you've burned it. And so you have to be very calculated. You have to be very strategic, and you have to think about. What are really the ways of how they're actually going to listen to what, what I want? And that goes back to the question of what does that actual person probably care about on a personal level, right? And try, you, so you, you have to form a hypothesis because in most cases you will, you, will, you will have never met the person. But the beauty is these days, especially if you're selling on the enterprise level and you're selling to someone at, at a very senior level, 
these people, and especially now with everyone being out on social media, promoting themselves even more and building up a personal brand, there's a lot of information, okay? These people, are they go on podcasts, they, they publish their own articles, and there is so much there that you can at least form a hypothesis, okay? And you can look into this and you can see, you know what, this is probably the thing where I'm going to get them. And again, th th this is the funny thing. With the, 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 the old school sales model by itself would be, okay, there is this one persona that has that problem. Because of that, I'm going to prescribe them this. And maybe that's going to work, right? Maybe that's going to help you open the door. But then you can take it further. I'll give you another example from one company that I'm working for right now, that, that I'm working with, I'm helping them close in deals. Um, have an old contact from that big company from way back in the past, different department. I've, I called the guy up and I was actually saying to him, look, I want to I talk to that person. What is that person like? What is that person like as a person? What is he like? What does he think about? What does he worry about? I learned, okay, that person actually is very bullish on uh, testing new things fast, but then also moving on quickly, not being sold empty promises, but having real proof of what you're saying is actually for real. And when you, when you use that for your messaging, like you're already leaping so much further ahead of everyone else who's trying to get to that person who's maybe doing some lazy, generic uh, outreach and not making the effort of trying to see, okay, how can I actually get through to that person? Right. And because contrary to, to popular belief, what I've also been told all the time is that, oh, cold emails don't work. It's like, no, it's like you just don't know how to write them. And what, what makes a great email, I mean, again, I've, I've written a whole ebook about it. It's not just the, the, um, the, the, the wording itself, but really what goes into that email and the, the emotional intelligence behind it of how am I going to get that one attention? I've had one other woman that I approached C-Level at one of the biggest German companies uh, that, I mean, a brand that everyone knows where people would say it's impossible to get through. She has her own office, basically, like a politician, really. And she replied to my cold email after one week, uh, sorry, after one hour, after one hour, when I send it, she spoke at an event. I was listening, I, I was tuning in, I took out all the, the keywords that she was actually mentioning, like her own wording, and I used it in the in the subject line. And then she opened it, and then she replied, right? Obviously, it doesn't always happen, doesn't always work out. But again, I think in principle, the first one goes back to your question, actually getting, you want to start at the highest level, because once you have that happen, it was the same thing here. She then, she passed me on, she introduced me to some of her colleagues, and they were all saying to me, the only reason why you and I are sitting in this meeting is because my boss's boss's boss forwarded this to me. And that's why I'm actually, it's actually relevant. That's why we're looking into it. There, there is a, a great book that I strongly recommend. He's one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn. He's called um, Jamal Reimer. He's an American guy who worked at Oracle for a long time. He wrote a book called Mega Deals. He has also his own community of how to become a mega deal seller. And I think he sold deals for like 160 million or something himself at one point, like a $50 million deal. It doesn't mean that everyone, by the way, which he also says that you have to sell for that much. It's just like what he calls a mega deal is that it's like 10 X of what you would usually sell. That's what he calls a mega deal. So even if you sell for, I don't know, usually for, for 10 K and you now sell for hundred K or usually to sell for hundred K and you know, sell for a million, that would be a mega deal for him. And what he's also saying there is back to your question is that to really get to those big deals, you have to be, you have to start at the top. You have to figure out what are their problems, get to them, have that visibility, and then you, you, you work with their team. And then you basically come back to them at one point with, with a solid solution and figure out, okay, that's, that's actually, that's, that's what makes them um, move forward with this. But, uh, and then he talks a lot about what are really the things that they, again, on a personal level, what they actually care about, the actual stuff. 
And that's usually not what you're going to find uh, publicly anywhere. But again, you can buy testing hypothesis by trying to read between the lines. And at one point, when you have more experience, you you kind of uh, you you know what what those things might be, and that's how you're actually going to advance. Is that also the reason why you're not a fan of cold calling scripts? Yes, for for the most part, yes. I'm I'm not also. I I want to definitely mention this. I'm not against cold calling. So I'm actually I I cold call all the time. I'm a big fan of cold calling. I think it's equally important as emails. Again, it's like what 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 uh, one of my coaches once said to me. She said like it's not either or. It's and a lot of times, right? And I'm I'm not a proponent of saying either or. So uh, I'm I'm a big fan of cold calling. I think it's very effective still. But I think the the issue with scripts is. And again, again, it goes back to what my 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 view about what what, what makes good selling, an authentic selling, an effective selling. In the end, is that encouraging people to use your own personality because you already have it. You already have a personality. I think cold calling strips they generalize. They try to they try to put you into a certain box that you're not that you're not that you that that, that is not you. And that's why people feel uncomfortable doing it because it feels like they're, again, they're reading off a script. It feels like they're acting. But I'm saying, look, if you use your personality, your tone of talking, how you do it, your personality, whatever that may be, that's going to transcend. That's going to come through. That's going to give the other person a good feeling. And then the other part of that is, is that what I don't like about scripts per se, they stop people making, uh, they, they st uh, people stop thinking. So Steve Jobs was very well known that he, he was completely against PowerPoints. Because he said the same thing. He said, if people make PowerPoints, they stop thinking. And if you don't do that, and if you do, again, the, the trying to feel into it and try to see, okay, like, what's really going on here? What am I trying to read between the lines? And I'm going to do the research. And I'm going to do honest research. I'm going to really try to make an effort for the really big, important accounts that I have. Because, again, you cannot do this for every account. But for the really the, the top the top three ones that I talked about yesterday, which are like kind of the Lighthouse accounts, and then maybe the, the 10 to maybe 15 other ones, which are also going to help you make your number those ones like how do i how can i really do a good job at trying to get that attention from that person and that's going to change how you approach them on the phone it's, it's really going to change how you how you're going to pitch because for the most part and this is the other thing i think cold again we've watched wolf of wall street and you see the guy close someone on the phone i have done that at groupon like that works for sure not not like that guy but like like closing someone on the phone that works at groupon it doesn't work in set in enterprise sales Like an enterprise sales, your outreach email, your phone, your phone call, that is just the first step. And, and what I talk a lot about in my, my ebook on, on email design is the same thing. It's like, what is that goal when you think like a designer? What is that, that goal of that first call that you make or that first email? It's not to close a deal. It's to get if, to know, are they interested? Would they want to talk to you in the future? Like, Would they want to set up a call or a demo, a discovery call? That's your only goal. Okay, so so how do I get to that? And I think if, if you have that mentality, that's going to change. It's going to take away a lot of the pressure when you call someone. And I think a lot of call, code calling scripts that I've seen, they, again, they really aim for for pushing someone in a corner. From they, they don't make them feel comfortable. And again, for me, it's really about th emphasizing with the human being, what would I like, what would I not like, what's a pleasant sales experience. And I think that should be a lot more of the focus. That's how I've trained all of my reps, and and I think it it it's, it's, it helps quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely valid, and I absolutely agree with you on that part. Um, but I have an objection here. So, um, I am working also with a lot of 
people who are maybe not um, selling to hyper strategic accounts or not selling to hyper intellectual data driven people like founders or decision makers, uh, leaders of big tech companies, but maybe they're just selling to restaurants. Maybe they're just selling to um, a construction company with 10 people, 15 people, a small software solution, or maybe um, they're just selling a product that is not that strategic to people that are maybe also not that strategic, but rather have like the feeling. And most of the time, especially uh, with food delivery companies I'm working with, um, it's often just volume dining. So they're sitting in, in their inside sales um, room and just like volume dialing, for example, restaurants. Um, and I think we need to also zoom out here because although um, we're saying now, okay, as a seller, as a sales leader, you also have to think like um, on a high level organizational base of companies who want to scale and hire people and find people um, that are maybe a, a little bit, yeah, not that hyper strategic, not that maybe uh, super, yeah, um, hyper, yeah, high level thinking uh, people, but rather like people who can just read that script, are a bit charismatic and can do sales. Um, do you think that there is maybe really this other way of selling where you have those volume approaches? And um, do you think it's a valid approach? And maybe what if I'm a person and I am in one of those organizations where I need to make 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 cold calls of people I don't know with less research because I don't have any research points? Um, what would you? given as advice to them maybe um, if they're just needing to do that um, and they basically don't have another choice because they need to reach their goals a long question i'm sorry <laughs> no no it's, it's fine like i was saying when i started out the startup that, that i had that i co-founded was actually helping restaurants or local businesses in general get, get get clients and so the idea at the time was that we would pay we would subsidize the taxi ride or the uber ride if you were eating at that restaurant, that, that was kind of the idea, right? So de depending on whatever you spend on, on your, uh, and if you also drink wine or whatever, then we, we, we wanted to improvise, we wanted to improve the, 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 the Groupon model, basically. So that, that was the idea that we had back then. So I'm very familiar. My official first sales experience was that, was actually selling to local businesses. And in that case, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's, it's definitely volume play. Right, because the, the way it, it's very simple. The way you got to break down the math is that if you want to hit your target in the enterprise deal, I was talking about these T zero accounts, these tier zero accounts, like these light, these huge accounts where, where you just where you have a very high chance. If you get those, you're not just going to make your number; you're going to overachieve, right? That 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 that's 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 how it's like in sales. In sales, that's not the same when you sell for for local businesses, right? Unless you sell, maybe I remember at Groupon at the time, because that's where I went after. By the way, our startup didn't work. I was broke. I had I lost a lot of money. Um, when you maybe when you close a chain, then you again you might want to be more strategic again, right? Because you think about well, that that chain is going to help me uh, not maybe not make my number, but a significant portion of that. So I think again, the, the question you always got to ask yourself is that, like you said. Depend, where's my how do I get my, to my number? How do I close my revenue? And the more different uh, contracts and clients that I need, of course, the more I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna spray and I'm gonna make it a volume play. And and to be fair, this has been working for me. Like I've I've sent out remember I was sending out mass email campaigns, which I would never do by the way in SaaS or for like enterprise accounts, but I would send out <clears throat> I don't know like a hundred or something. I remember we were scraping information from Yelp at the time. 
all the restaurants in Berlin at the time. Yeah, of course. For like, I had, I had some guy on Fiverr for like 15 bucks to, to do that for me. And he was scraping it, gave me an Excel list. And then I was firing at like 100 people every day. And I got a lot of traction. Like definitely, because also when you think about a restaurant, you don't have the whole org chart. You don't have any VPs. Like it's just the owner and you, and they respond, they respond to you right away. So, um, yes, back to your question. Absolutely. I think it can be a volume play. What I'm just against and what I'm careful about. And again, that's why context matters. If you're trying to get into a big account and you try to use the same tactics, and I've seen it also in, in the scale ups and, and startups that, that I've been working with and that I know of the sellers, they're forced to do 150 activities every day. Or like a hundred. You think about, I mean, one activity to be also fair, in those big not, accounts. Yeah, so so that's like that's like the thing. So these companies, they Crazy. all want to have the big accounts. When you're in SaaS, you want to have the big accounts, right? Uh, Perito, you want you, you want to have the big accounts. And if you approach these companies with the, with those tactics, that's not going to work. Like you're going to, and especially in Germany, you know this. Like if you, that's that's the other thing. It's like the a cultural component. Yeah. yeah, in America, in, in the United States of America, it's more common. I think for a person to ignore you until you send them eight or nine emails, maybe something like that. Like I've, I've heard those crazy numbers in Germany after the third one, you're going to get blocked. I mean, for sure. So you have to be yeah. very selective of how you're going to do it and you got to be smart about it. And, and that's why I'm just, uh, and then this is, this is a horrific, by the way, this is another topic for another session, maybe where SDRs, entry level sellers are forced to, to execute these, these, these activity processes. I think that's absolutely crazy. And again, I've seen the results. There's there's no results from it. I mean, sometimes, but for the most part, there mm. isn't. And so again, back back to closing on this question that you had, and also the initial topic. I've had not always, not with every industry, with every account, but I've always had decent or very above average penetration into a lot of my accounts. And I think it's again going back to this of like the the diligence, the the patience, and uh, the thoughtfulness. The timing might still be off. You might still not get a reply. Like there's no guarantees. But I think. For this sales that we're in, this is really important. If you're selling to restaurants, uh, very, very different. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I would like to just, if you still have time, of course, um, yep. dive into a bit more of the personal aspect since we're talking about the authentic selling. So um, in 2012, you wanted to become freelance journalist or journalist in, in general. Um, and then now you have um, a lot of experience in sales, seen a lot, uh, had your own company, um, basically a roller coaster of life behind you. Um, what did sales teach you, and what was the difference between between the 2012 Dennis and what changed until now, and what part did sales play maybe in it? <laughs> you mean you mean what what the the the, the 2012 comparison to today? In this, in the context of the of the person yeah. that I became, or in selling, how I think about selling in general. In your, in no, in your personal life, what changed you and your sales experience and your sales career? Um, what maybe got better, or maybe got worse? Oof, I, hope, I hope nothing got worse. The only thing is, I lost some hair, but I think that's <laughs> that's what you get if you, if you sign up for selling. So that 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 got a bit worse. Um, well, yeah, like I was saying, at the time, I always wanted to become a journalist. I think that has never left, that has never escaped me. If anything, I think I'm getting closer back to it. I think like what you and I are doing right now, that is actually bringing me back to the initial thing I've always enjoyed doing, which is, again, very curious, 
talking to people about like making interesting knowledge accessible like i'm i'm a i'm a, I'm a freak and an addict when it comes to absorbing knowledge and making things and then accessible to other people right so it's always been my number one thing in life and so the i think even in the sales career that i've had so far I've always been thinking about, and I think it's, it's what everyone should do, by the way, is like bringing the, the skills that you already have to the table. So I'm a big fan, a big proponent of uh, what I would call eclectic selling, like eclecticism, right? Where you think about how do I bring what I already know what already, or what interests me from other areas, which might be unrelated, but I bring that to my selling. So when I talk to people that when I train them, I'm always asking like, well, you know, what were you, what do you like doing? What were you doing when you were like younger? What did you want to be doing? And then like, how can we try to find a way of how you bring that into your current job, into your selling? Like, how can that be useful? Right. And so again, the, the, the writing piece, hence I wrote a whole ebook about it is still very much close to my heart and that idea behind it. And the, 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 what I was saying about like making like the simplicity and making something accessible that has, ne that has never changed. And I've seen this for the most part work. I think where selling has helped me for sure, and this is why I don't want to go against what I was saying in the beginning. But of course, when you have a certain personality type, I'm, I'm definitely more leaning towards the, as you can already tell, the more intuitive, creative, uh, you know, personality. You need both again, right? You need both. Um, Robert Robert Green talked about this in his book, um, one of my favorite books I read last year, Laws of Human Nature. And he talks about how you need both like you need the chaos and you need the you need the uh, the organization and you need you need the processes and i think selling has helped me actually learn like there, there there's a there's a place for processes and and having a repeatable way of doing it i think that like, almost like scientifically right you need that and selling has helped me a lot to not just make it improvise and freestyling and winging it um but but again also having a, a guideline I think that's something that I've that I've learned a lot over the last few years, and that that's done me pretty well. But again, I've never lost my I've never lost my my my, my nature. I'm trying to see like how can I use it in a better way. And again, what you what you what you're talking about is what we just talked about at the beginning of the of the inner 16th chapel and like what's my life my life image what I'm working on. It's like everything for me selling <clears throat> has always been um, a playing field. So I I would not I would lie that if I would say I'm 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 not I'm not passionate about sales itself. Like I, I think for me selling is the means, it's not the end. And so for me I've always been thinking about like how does selling the ability to be able to scale to sell fit into the the greater scheme of things that I want to be doing. Which for me I did an exercise 2 years ago with my with my coach at the time at BetterUp. And what I realized was like the top 3 values that I have in life, the biggest one is growth. Um, professionally, also personally, in, in every aspect, in every domain of life, that's my biggest. So when I don't have that, um, then something is off that I'm not that I'm not happy. The second one is creativity, and then the third one is uh, convenience. So not luxury, but like just level of convenience. Okay, and so I've always been thinking about like how does whatever I'm doing in my selling also how does that contribute to it? And the people that I meet, I put them all into boxes. I never lose touch of them. What I talked about with the Bill Clinton example is that, okay, like one day maybe that person's going to be interesting and, and that there might be a potential synergy effect. And yeah, so what we talk about with the LinkedIn posting, again, the, the journalistic nature is always coming through. And I've been blogging for a long time. Uh, I stopped doing that and now back on LinkedIn. Now I'm sharing also on Instagram more privately, of course, about what's it like to, to be in Brazil now and documenting that. So long, long answer, long-winded answer. In a way, nothing has changed, but I'm only coming closer to my to my my root of, of, of I think like who I am. 
But at the same time, everything has changed because I've learned all these things. I've made all these connections. I've had all these skills, all this, obviously the, all the, 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 the dark times that you have when you're going through this, in my case, also on a health, health level, um, for a long time where my sales skills helped me actually not just money, not just, not just, not just financially help me get out of it and applying that. So we can maybe also reserve that for another, for another episode, but, um, it's kind of to close to close that answer. There is the the what, what's it called? Joseph Campbell. He was a guy. He was a disciple of I don't know if, if you're familiar. So there, there's there's Sigmund Freud, and then there's Carl Jung, who was also a psychoanalyst and uh, a psychotherapist. And he was a disciple of Freud. He then went his own way. And Freud he impacted also a lot of uh, Jung. He impacted a lot of other. A psychologist one was joseph campbell and joseph campbell came up with this very famous concept of the 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 hero's journey right so what he talks about like the the archetypical journey of, of any hero where you start you leave you, you you set up for an adventure and then you meet maybe a mentor and then there's a challenge and then you uh, you try to come overcome it in the end you either you win or you lose and then you basically back to the to what's called the not the, the normal world right it's, you're going to find the structure in any, if you think about Harry Potter, Star Wars, any kind of movie that you can think about, or most of them, they have all the structure. And the interesting thing, what I didn't know is that when I read George Lucas's biography last year, he actually consulted Joseph Campbell for when he was writing Star Wars. So that, that, that's very interesting information. And I think, like, like you just said, I've left home, you know, 2012. I went on this journey. I went to Berlin. I went to the startups. I went into the all, into the unknown over and over again. Now it's almost like I'm coming out of it. I'm almost back to where I was 10 or 11, 12 years ago in a way. But in a way, of course, not the same person. I've transformed many, many times. But I think my pathway forward is going to be a, a lot a lot of content and, and, and give it, making information accessible again. I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's going to be more of that in the future. Really cool. Really cool. Um, just... As a last question to summarize it, um, actually, we made it to not talk about AI in the 15 min 50 minutes of the podcast yet, um, but yeah. now I need to do it. Um, so yes, yesterday, actually, you sent me a post, which I found really, really interesting, uh, where basically it's about, would you rather receive an ir irrelevant note or a relevant AI message? And I think this is actually a really, really interesting topic. Do you really think, um, maybe as a last question to close on the podcast, that um, AI will be able to be authentic? And is authenticity maybe the last tool we have to differentiate um, ourselves against maybe AI written notes? Yeah. This is, I mean, so by the way, this is a great post. He's one of the favorite people that I've discovered last year, Alex, who wrote that post, who actually also lives in Berlin. He's one of my absolute favorites that I've uh, that I follow on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, but I think we can, we can, we should also, in a friendly way, disagree with some ideas that people have when they put it out. They ask for their thoughts, which he was doing. So what I what I've come to <clears throat> come to realize, and again, it's it's not this black or white, like either or. But really, it's 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 and and what he was saying in the post, I think, was somewhere along the lines of that. I, I think he even used the word that like authentic selling and being uh, more, with a human touch, whatever. That that's not gonna that's not gonna uh, be needed anymore. I don't I don't know what he was saying. I think something along the lines of that. Ultimately, AI is going to be able to do that, right? 
And I don't fully agree with that. I, I definitely don't. I think for, for multiple reasons. For the first first thing is, I want to say this, I'm definitely a big fan and proponent like, of what AI is doing. I'm using it every day, right? I'm using ChatGPT like everyone else is doing. Uh, using. I'm using one of my favorite tools that I've discovered two years ago. It's called WordTune. It's by a company, uh, I think they're called AI Labs. Or, I, don't, I don't know their name, but the tool is called WordTune. They're from Israel. And it's a tool that basically rewrites and polishes your 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 your, your, your writing in English. I'm still using them, even though I have a premium subscription on ChatGPT, because you can actually use it in your Gmail. You can use it in your, in your, in your Google Docs. By the way, I don't have any affiliation with them. I just think it's a great product, and you should praise that. So I'm using it. But here's the kicker. And again, that's also the case that I'm making in my ebook. I'm saying that it's a nice way, it's a nice supplement. Like it's going to make it better. It's, got, it's a nice tool to support you if you know what you're doing. But if you don't, and if you haven't, and again, that's why I talk about in the ebook, if you haven't built that muscle of connecting more with your intuition as well and connecting more with that creative side and that non-measurable, which also, and I, I, I use an example by the Airbnb CEO, same thing where he talks about just like Jeff Bezos, where he was saying, as much as we like to measure things, we have to also have give space to things we cannot measure, but they're going to make a difference. In Airbnb's case, that was the turnaround for them to make it through the pandemic before the IPO. And so that's why I'm trying to say there that if you haven't learned that, you don't know what good writing in this case looks like, or in other cases, good selling and being able to connect with a person and, and having all of that, I think AI, AI is not going to do that for you. And it was I was fascinated to hear that. I was in... A few months ago, I was back in Lisbon, and I, uh, one of my old colleagues set up a big um, center. They call it the Center for Responsible AI. So it's a consortium by my old company, Unbabel, uh, my old uh, VP product, like uh, my, my old colleague there. He's the, he's the CEO, and it's a consortium. I think it's funded by the government. It's like seventy-five million or something. It's different companies in in Portugal. It's very impressive what they're doing, and they're trying to bring startups, corporates, uh, scientists, uh, anything else all together to think about how can we use AI in the good way that it benefits all of us. And one of the speakers that they had was Antonio Damasio. He's, a, he's one of the, maybe the most famous person on the topic of consciousness worldwide. He's, he, he's Portuguese. He lives in America now. Ironically, going back to the question of outreach and using that for your personal life and then like combining that with my lifestyle design, design of what interests me, I actually uh, sent him a cold email a few years ago and I said to him, do you want to be part? Uh, you want, can we interview you? And also, uh, would you consider being part of this consortium as an advisor? That guy never responds to any email. And he was it was because we mentioned that we're in Lisbon and in the same street that he was living in before, we mentioned that in the subject line. And the guy responded. The guy doesn't even have a laptop. He just has a MacBook, uh, like, like an iPad to reply. And he was saying that, he was saying, in his view, AI is never going to be conscious. And he says, of course, I can be wrong, right? But he says that in my view, what, what makes consciousness and the, the feeling, it's, it's not logic, it's feelings first. AI is never going to have that. Like you can train it. AI is always going to be better and faster than me at calculating and doing math and pulling up information and, and, and anything that I wouldn't know. But when it comes to feeling and being intuitive and connecting with a human being, he says AI is never going to be able to do that. If he's wrong, I don't know. But I think it's, it's a very interesting thing to hear that from, from, from someone like him. I have another person that I mentioned to you yesterday who's a, who's a CEO, a very smart guy, maybe one of the smartest people I know in AI, uh, from an AI startup. He was saying something similar. So 
I don't know. Uh, I don't mind being wrong. You know, things change and there's a tool that's actually going to be able to capture and do what I'm doing now as a human being when I sell good enough. But, but long story short, I think it's, it's a great supplement. If you know what you're doing, it's going to help you massively. It's going to make you more efficient and effective. If you don't know what you're doing, you're also going to scale the, your inabilities and you're going to, you're also going to scale your damages. That's my view point of view beginning of 2024. Let's see what's like in a year. I don't know. Absolutely. I think uh, that are great closing words. Um, an hour full of nuggets, Dennis. Thank you so much. One of the longest episodes I've ever recorded, but I think um, it was absolutely worth it. Thank you so much for being my guest. And um, as we have so many uh, content still undiscussed, maybe we will see each other for a volume two. So Let's thank you very much, so much, Dennis, and uh, leaving the last words to you. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, maybe we can make it happen if we if we ever make it back to Berlin. <laughs> you and I, we're both going to be back, I think, at the end of March. You just said, or middle of March. So, yeah, maybe we'll definitely make that happen. Again, I, I think the, the biggest thing that, that I, that I want to say in closing is it's also the advice that I've given to everyone that I've trained or now when people... I mean, that's the funny thing. I've had a lot of mentors and training in my life, uh, trainers. And now, because of my postings also, like there's people now coming to me and asking me for advice, which is kind of kind of a cool feeling. I think that's like this generational contract where you pass on knowledge. And a lot of what, what I just said to you is because other people that were smart have said it or passed it on to me, right? I didn't, I didn't generate this. But that's the main thing that I wanted to say is that taking a little bit of the, the BS out of selling, I think that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a reason why a lot of people are afraid of, of it. Like right now, as you know, I'm working with founders now as a, as a fractional seller, early stage founders. And a lot of them, they have fear of selling. And they think it's, 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 it's a cringy thing and you have to be cut in a certain way of a personality to do sales. And I don't think it's true. Like I think I'm one example why that is not true and it can still work. And it's a good skill to have. And when I train anyone, I've always said to them, look, as much as I want you to listen to what I say, and I'm and I'm going to kick your, your your butt, and it's like in some in some ways it's a good thing, but talk to other people, find your own truth, find out what's your own, what, what what's what's working for you. Don't like I'm I'm a person that's very allergic to dogmas in anything in life, in politics, and in in selling. I mean, you name it. Whenever someone comes with dogmas, I don't like that. I like to explore. Let the best idea win. I'm not saying I have the best ideas. I'm proposing what I what I think could be right, and I have some something to back it up. At the same time, I think this maybe if we if we have two more minutes to make that point to hit that one home as a closing remark. Do we? Okay, you're you're nodding. Okay, because that's the other thing is also again taking the the BS out of it, adding some authenticity to it. When we talk about what's been working for me well in the past, people never talk about the factor of luck. They never talk about the context that they were in. They never talked about how. Uh, they've maybe had worked for a company that had product market fit, and then you work for a company that doesn't have one. And then if you try to compare outcomes, right, of 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 how people have performed by by the quota attainment, it's like comparing apples and oranges. And I think we would all we would all serve ourselves better if we were more honest about it when we have the wins, also when we have the losses, and we give a little bit of context to it. And I think by that we make it again. And it's my, I think my ultimate thing that I care about making it approachable. Take making it relatable, and I think that's how actual things can actually happen. Versus putting up this facade of what we of how, and acting tough. And um, we know all of us. We know that we're just fooling ourselves, and and that's why I yeah that's what I like to to pass out as a message when people think about selling. Um, that again, 
I'm also just one person with one view and I have, it's like a buffet, right? Take, eat from many, many plates. Don't just eat from my plate, what I just said to you. Like eat, try a lot of dishes. And then you're gonna figure out what you like.